so we're looking at the historical evidences or the historicity of the Bible now. So last week we spoke about uh, historical Jesus outside of the Bible. Vintage Jesus. Shout He's, out to Mark Driscoll. That's it. Outside. <laughs> Shout out to who? He said Mark Driscoll. Marky Mark. Mark, Mark. Marky Mark. <laughs> oh, God. That is crazy. That's horrible. Uh, that I like Mark Driscoll, man. He's, he was, yeah, yeah, I love Mark him. Driscoll. What are you talking awesome. about? So, so last week. Things happen. Things do happen. Things happen. That's bro. right. And everyone can be redeemed. Everyone. And everyone. We all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. I listen to a lot of Mark Driscoll. Man, Mark, like a lot of Mark Driscoll. I think you got me into Mark Driscoll. Mike. I think Mike got me and into Paul Mark Washington. Driscoll, too. No, you got me into Paul Washington. I no, think you I got think, me into Paul, but then I started talking. I think Paz got me into Paul Washington. Paul, yeah. Paul Shout Washington. out to Pascal yeah. now. What? Pascal now, I know you're listening. He just had a baby. Long time, like a couple long, years yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, but still. I think she's like in college now, bro. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> she just had a baby. She just enrolled. How time yeah. flies. She just enrolled. <laughs> <laughs> so so last week, we, we showed that outside of the Bible, you can, there are accounts that prove uh, that Jesus was truly a man, and he was where he was, and the things that he said are in line with history so he was there he did what he did and people believed it and people wrote about it yep. and uh it was outside of the bible so you don't have to use circular reasoning uh which is the bible using the bible to prove the bible um so you don't have to use that to prove that jesus the man the myth and the legend was real <laughs> not myth yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, then today, then we're going to talk about how how the evidence from a historical standpoint to piggyback on the historical Jesus, how scripture can be used and verified as a legitimate historical document. So it's a great segue. Yeah, this is really cool because you normally are learning the Bible from a biblical point of view where mm -hmm. it's like, hey, this is a God breathed book. There's 66 books within this, and it's God. You know what I'm saying? In the beginning, it was the Word, and here you go. This is what it is. And we don't ever see it from outside of that. You, I don't think, I think I've been in how many classes in Bible study, and they, I've never heard anybody break down the Bible from a historical, from a historical point of view. To basically say, hey, this is actually proven historically. Mm. Mm -hmm. These books are proven this way historically. We can see this as a historical document. And obviously you have the cliche that the Bible is his story, which would mean history. But you need English, though, to break yeah. that down. You need the English word of history to say that. Uh-huh. And so, so don't if you're Spanish, don't, don't use that because it won't be the same. <laughs> it don't, it's the same. a Spanish <laughs> word. Yeah. So I so it's it's super. I think it's really really awesome that we're about to dive in and see it from a different point of view. And I think it's good to let everyone know, and even just us sitting here, that we may be coming from looking at this book as a book, 
and as you are a historian and you look at these documents that's really all they are at first and and really at first it's not even a document yet until you really prove and say this is a historical document so really everything's left off of the table and you kind of are looking at this piece of parchment or this writing that you have in front of you or this artifact and yeah. you're saying is this real is it true is it accountable yeah i mean to clarify as well it's not just i mean we could use basic terminology and say the bible we see it as just one book but it's a collection of books bible comes from the greek word biblia which means it's literally collection of books yeah so it's um you know it's not harry potter you know so you sit down with, as one author and you recite or you write down all of your thoughts and ideas and so forth this is this is years and years this is about 1500 years uh span in between the first writer and the last writer uh you know talking about three different continents asia europe africa uh in three different languages as well um you have uh Hebrew, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. Greek. And and the beautiful thing about that, I had a friend that actually text me and um, and he he had he had a question about essentially the Torah. Um, and there was an assertion of a friend of his that he just kind of threw out there and said, Hey, the the Torah or the or the Pentateuch, is that how you say it? Um, Pentateuch or something like that. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, it's the Greek version of the Torah, right? So, um, so he was saying he just threw out an assertion to say it's not real. That the Torah is not real. It's just Normally you know, it's not the, the same. It's not the same as as it was in the original. And the Torah scrolls were called the half Torah. And the thing is, they're not even. The the crazy part is that to make that kind of assertion, you need evidence that the assertion is real right you can't just say a blanket statement like that oh yeah these things aren't real you have to present evidence for that so anyone who's making any kind of assertion you have to present evidence for your assertion um and so so what i told him was you know this is a guy that texted you yeah, yeah one of my guys texted me so um so i told him i said you know all the other books outside of the torah so we're talking about isaiah daniel mm -hmm. nehemiah and so forth they reaffirm the historical accounts of the first five books of the scripture, which would be the Torah or what's called the law. So the books of Moses. And, um, and so the, you know, all the Kings, the Pharaohs, the locations, they all are reaffirmed in the other writings of scripture. So if, if you're questioning the, the Torah or the law, then you would be question questioning all the, the rest of the books and we've you said on oh, no you know the accounts they aren't real or or they've been they've been altered and so forth if if there were things that were altered you're talking about other other time frames other people other locations that are affirming the events of that time period so you know you, for example you you're saying this king or this high priest or this prophet who doesn't even live anywhere in the same time period, let alone the same zip code, as the person who wrote the the first five books, they are affirming through how whatever means that they're affirming it, they're affirming that the historical events that took place in that time period are true. So 
it's very difficult when somebody just throws out an assertion and they expect you to come up with the evidence. Mm -hmm. Like they sit there and they say, well, you know, prove to me that this is real. Well, you prove to me that it's not. What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. There, we get that a lot. It's, it's clear that most people, and we do it all the time, are, we never use what's called the historical method. We don't use that to, we just blurt out things and say, well, that can't be true. But are we really using a historical method or what is our methodology behind that comment that we just made? Like, did you know that somebody outside of that book actually affirmed that statement or that that took place? And so now what do you say? Even within scripture, in the Old Testament primarily, they refer to books outside of the scriptures too. So if like Moses or he was writing about a, a war, he says, essentially he's like, you can get the rest of these details from this book that specifies this specific war. Like he's giving you extra accounts to go and do your own yeah, research. references. Yeah. Right, and even in, in those five books, he, he affirms it. I don't have the verse with me right now, but he actually affirm he actually whoever's reading the books he's affirming and he's admonishing these people to go and dig deeper into the research so that you can see everything that i'm talking about is legit so go search it there's no hiding he tells you to go even in the new testament with paul's writing to the thessalonians he congratulates and he applauds the thessalonians because he's like you guys are not idle you guys go and you search this thing out like you are diligent go make sure these things are real like he's pushing people to make sure this is true and and that's what we're doing now is is to push to say go there's nothing to hide these things have been tested before these things are called true and and so um all the assertions that come our way to say oh this is false this is this, this is that you gotta have evidence man yeah some most of the time that's called source criticism or information evaluation where it's the process of evaluating uh the source of the information uh it's it's reliability it's uh re relevance it's validity and uh and you're putting that basically on the stand you're putting it under investigation and within this source criticism from a very high level you're basically looking at uh when the source was written or unwritten right so the date just to put it plain mm -hmm. you're looking at number two where where was it produced so localization the zip codes like mike was saying the this book was primarily written or this collection of books in africa asia and europe so you're looking at the localization by whom it was produced the who did it so that would touch on the authorship and from there you have number four which is from what pre-existing material was it produced which is the analysis and i think you actually have a full analysis of all the copies and how many copies we have and from yes. what date and from what time and you touched on that last week mike that historically as far as jesus goes like we can look back at king arthur and jesus has way better 
results when it comes to this portion of source criticism which is the pre-existing material that it was produced yeah so if you guys didn't listen to last week's episode tune in to episode 12 and you can get uh, the high level overview of the documentary support that scripture has in comparison to some of the other historical documents and then you have the fifth uh source criticism which is in what original form was it produced so this would be its integrity and uh the last one is what is the evidential value of its contents or the credibility so we have date where it was at localization author analysis integrity and credibility these different things the first four actually are called the higher criticisms where the fifth one is accounted to as a lower criticism which would be an external one and the sixth account which is credibility would be in an internal criticism and so most historians are looking at when we're putting a statement like what your friend said you would have to put it through or at least know all of these and it sucks that you would have to know all six but I mean, if you didn't know who wrote it, then how do you know? Well, that, yeah, so my friend, uh, so yeah, he, he in his reply to, to, to the guy, he basically said, um, you know, in essence, he said, unless you have the original, how do you know? Well, then we won't know done. most of, after the burning of, of the Library of Alexandria, we're done. We don't got nothing. So that's where you would have to. I mean, then then his own accounts of everything that he reads is really just copies of what other people have said and what. But that's the point is that if you don't have the original for you to make the assertion and say the original was tarnished or the original was written incorrectly. So the version that we have today has been has been compromised. How do you know that if you don't have the original? So you have to rely on some of these extra sources to give you validity. Hence, when you're talking about Old Testament and you think about the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. and when you have a complete book of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scroll findings, and you can see that it is pretty much spot on with at the earliest versions that they can possibly have, with the Dead Sea Scroll finding, you're like, oh, wow, this finding that we have actually predates the one we have, and it's spot on. It's spot on. So that means the integrity of this book has been maintained, so it's safe to assume that the integrity has been maintained as we look at some other resources as well to ensure, like you said, date, location, authorship, etc. And that's all used together to form this source criticism or informational evidence to show authenticity. That's what we're all looking for here. Is it really the real thing? Or am I looking at something that's authentic? Or is it authentically true? I think is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You could have authentic documents, even in in the Hindu scriptures, there are some authentic originals that they have, but it's mythology. There, it hasn't been proven historically um, to have contained a legitimate person or legitimate location or legitimate events. 
it's more so this is mythology and the mythology that is written we have the original versions of the mythology but to say that this is a historical document that's speaking of actual events it has to be written off as as not real because there has been no verification as opposed to scripture when you talk about as g said it's a collection of books it's not harry potter it's it's not dictated by one person it's a collection of books from 40 different authors and when you put it together you're like man they all affirm each other and these dudes didn't even chill together then then it speaks volumes as to the evidence that there is a there is a, a story it's telling and the story from these witnesses has to be true just like in the court you know the, the, all these people in this neighborhood are all saying the same thing that that ivan slashed my tires and everyone even if they have a slightly different angle at which they see things because of their location or their proximity to the events they can all affirm the events and it's not taking you too far from what actually transpired it is safe to assume at the very least the event happened, happened yeah. the the tires were slashed and the tires were slashed by ivan so now we find ivan we put him in jail you know what i'm saying because we have a reason to do that we have we have uh, evidence to go and make the arrest this is the same concept is that we have these people that are affirming the same story or the same premise now we are pointing to what is the truth of their of their of their claims and as we progress we see it point to Jesus and when we see the account of Jesus and the historical ver uh, uh, historical claims of Jesus then you're like wow there's i mean i need to take this book seriously and, you know because of all these things that you know we're 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 diving into yeah cuz we have events and when we look at certain events like you were saying in, in mythology uh historians actually have an in their procedures of looking at contradictory sources is to use common sense. And so you could also, that can work counter to what some of the stories in the Bible, because again, we're using events and stories and trying to prove these events and stories to be true. So not just that the writing is authentic made by Mike in 2017, but is the is the stories that he's writing about also true so now we can say that mike wrote that story that but that does not mean that what he wrote was true that the accounts that he's now giving is true so in one of the last last contradiction procedures uh they write when two sources disagree and there is no other means of evaluation then historians are going to take the source which seems to accord best with common sense mm. and so it's good to know that you can also place common sense but when but what happens when a story breaks common sense what happens when a story does something that's never been seen or something that's miraculous like having a man rise from the dead then how do we prove that that event actually happen well you're going to need one of the greatest things that historians look at eyewitnesses yep. and it's one of the greatest things that i think all lawyers are are happy to have when it's on their side whether it's the the defendant or mm -hmm. or the plaintiff and you're you're looking at that and you have an eyewitness account 
and but one is one really enough do you need two do you need three and how many is enough for a miraculous event because i know how many is enough for something that's common like you killed this person you only need one yeah but if you have a good lawyer they can be like yeah that one eyewitness is a drunk so he his yeah, yeah. testimony is void a second right one, a second and, third, and then right. you go from there because of what's going on with the with the struggle that you're having in that particular debate but yeah. most of the time you're looking for one eyewitness that's what cops are looking for we're knocking door to door so in this case we this episode we're going to be able to look at the historical the historicity of these 66 books and can they be looked at as authentic are they authentic and if they are authentic then you have a second question to ask which is what is what they're writing now authentic are the events that they're saying true and if they are true now we have to deal with that where if the man did kill somebody and there is somebody now he has to live with that the rest of his life so gee i know you have some things on on the archaeological aspect so we can probably even begin there and from there then we can start to navigate through um different things so as g pulls that up uh bible is pull is is kind of divided into a number of things so the old testament is 39 books and in those 39 books is broken up into five categories you have the torah which is are the first five books or the law um you have the books of history you have the books of poetry you have prophets and you also have minor prophets and then in the new testament there's 20 there are 27 books or and or you can classify them as letters um, that are grouped in these categories. You have the Gospels. So you have uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John as the Gospels. The Book of Acts, which are the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, the Epistles, so the 13 letters of Paul. The General Epistles, so there are a number of other disciples that are writing um, about, from a theological perspective, an eyewitness perspective of, of, of Christ. Um, you know, teaching. So, uh, so that's the general epistles. And then you have the uh, apostolic, um, or rather, the you have the uh, the end time. So you have the Revelation, uh, that is the last book of the uh, of the New Testament. All right, starting from the archaeological, something that me and Mike were discussing, and Ivan as well, which was the common story of the flood that we keep hearing. The story or the epic of Gilgamesh started from the Sumerian king at the time talking about how there was a guy that survived the great flood. We have the Greek counterpart, which is the story of the Kalion and Pharaoh, who survived the great flood sent by Zeus as well. Then we can keep going on to the Code of Hammurabi, which is also talking about some of the laws or retributions accounted to during the time of the Near East, which is also clarified in the Pentateuch, which is spoken about in Exodus. That's how you say it, Pentiach. I said Pentiach. You said Pentiach? Yeah. Pent, uh, Pentia. It just I think looks it's weird. actually spelled like Pentia. Keep going. I'm gonna. I'm arch. gonna. I'm gonna figure it out. Yeah. But it said Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. The Nuzi tablets, where it's our clay tablets found in the Nuzi or east of the Tigris River. And what are the what are these all saying? These are all accounts that, like we were talking about, external sources that it can account as well for 
stories talked about in the Bible that have been found archaeologically. Okay. Something that also a lot of people debated upon, uh, debated upon, which was actually found to be true, which is in 1906, the existence of the Hittites that we also talked wow. about previously in, yep. I believe, three episodes ago. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it, yeah, three, two yep. or three episodes. They found a whole bedrooms and all that city. Then we can also account for biblical cities that have been found, starting from Jericho to Haran, Hazar, Don, Megiddo, Shasham, Samaria, Shiloh, Gazar, Geba, Beth Shemesh, Beth Shean, Beersheba, Lashash. This guy's got the tongue right he's speaking now. Speaking in tongues. He's yeah. just speaking in tongues. That's all you're doing. Beersheba, Shashash. He's just making up stuff. He's like, Rambos. And as well, Philistines. And even the Pentopolis, the Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gaza, Gath, Ekron. <laughs> Y'all cracking up. Oh, I love man. it. The invasion of Judah from Shashak that talks about in Kings 14. The Moabite stone, which also is talking about in Kings, which uh, describes Ahab's family in 850 BC. Obelisk of Shalmani... Uh, this word escapes me. Shalmanesir, which talks about in 2 Kings 9.10, which occurred during 841 to 814 BC with uh, Jehu and the great power of Assyria during that time, the Assyrian Empire that we can attest to, that it talks about in scripture. The burial plaque of King Uzziwa, which is down in Judah from 792 to 740 BC, which talk, uh, Solomon talked about in Second Chronicles 26, which was recorded, Uzzi dying in stone, Mount of Olives. Keep going on, Cylinder of Cyrus the Great as well where it talks about in Chronicles 36:23 in Ezra 1 report Cyrus of the great of Persia conquering Babylon and allowing the Jews Babylonian captivity. We also can keep going on to more accounts that archaeologically uh, archaeologically have been found the Shinarishib uh, prism after having conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel Syrians moved southward to Judah which is talked about in 2 Kings 18:19. So these are all accounts. These are all accounts that we see of outside of Scripture that still Scripture shows facts. And, and that's awesome to know, too, that whether it's relics, fingerprints, writings, all of those things uh, fall inside the tapestry or can be put into the tapestry of history. So like, um, you know, other writings. So if you have... If you have a people group that that are that are residing in a specific location for a number of years, and you know they've been involved in trade and all that, there might be coins that might associate this this people group with uh, with being real. There were um, some coins, too. right? There might be uh, there might be plates. There might be. There's just different things that show there were uh, uh, there were you know habitation, and um, it's funny because. The the Book of Mormon, I you know I guess they assume they make a an assumption that um, that there's a people group there's like a Native American people group I I forget what the, what it's called uh, I'm just going off the Where top Jesus presented himself and and so yeah so you know that there was this great war in the United States and all these people died and there were no survivors and the only thing that was left were these stone tablets well as historians are trying to find out did this people group exist there are no there's no physical evidence that these people were even around there's stories and there's pictures but from the research that i've done 
uh, the historians are like these the people that are in this book they've never existed like we don't have coins we don't know where they posted up we don't have houses if there was a great war there would be weapons that we can dig up there's no weaponry there's no teeth there's no bones have, yeah. there's nothing that points that these people actually existed in scripture however you know with all things that G kind of read and there's there's a myriad more it will point to not only that people resided in this area but as historians kind of trace back and said okay this is where such and such happened oh wait look there's the obelisk it talked about that's crazy you know i can imagine having those discoveries going to the epic of gilgamesh which is one of the first things you mentioned um that is a story that essentially alludes to the great flood and people use that story to say you see scripture is just a compilation of a bunch of myths that other people have written in other time periods and so as a result of that scripture was formed so all these other writers are just using these events or these mythological events to compose something that's funny because in the in the example of gilgamesh it talks about a worldwide flood and survivors of the flood and so forth well of course if most of scripture, so the events that happen in 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 the book of Genesis actually occurred a long before it was physically written. So there was an oral tradition. So there wasn't, you know, we have the luxury of computers and printers and all that. Back then, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch of people who were making profit off of saying, you know, hey, I, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to put my stamp on it and I'm going to sell these books for that's not necessarily how I rolled. So there was oral tradition to pass down stories and accounts and this happened and such and such and such and such. Unlike when they say the telephone thing. You know, when they talk about, oh, you, telephone game. Yeah, 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 let's play a telephone game. I'll tell you this story and whatever. No, these people recited stories to be memorized and to be passed along generation to generation accurately. So if you have your grandma standing there and you're reciting a story to your children that is not in line or consistent with the way it was taught to your grandma and her grandma and so forth, you're going to get called out on it. It's not a game of, of let's, let's whisper in this person's ear and let's pass it along. And at the end, the person, because they know it's a game, they're, they're standing at the end. They're like, oh, you know, it started out saying, hey, pass me the paper. And at the end, it's like, send me the text message. And everyone's laughing in the room. They're like, you see, the, 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 when you play the telephone game, things get lost in translation. No, they know it's a game. So, of course, they're going to pass it along when you don't have an opportunity to ask questions because there are certain rules and parameters in that telephone game where you can't go back and ask the person, hey, can you repeat what you just said? I have questions about the things that you mentioned before you pass it along. No, they are making this assumption in this scientific um, you know, game that they're trying to play. You say something. I have no room to question. I have to say what I thought I heard to the person next to me and keep going. That's not the way it was done. If you're telling me a story, I have room to question you in your, in what you're telling me. I have room to go back to grandma and say, Hey grandma, dad said this, this isn't that. No, that ain't true. What this dude's tripping. And you have room because there were no televisions. There this is it. This is our history. We're telling you about the events of who we are. We have to memorize these laws because these laws speak volume of who we are as a people group and we have to be obedient to these laws. So they were very cautious as to how these things were passed down orally. Well, if there was an oral tradition that was passed along 
and there was a people group that didn't adhere necessarily to the things that were a uh, part of that oral tradition of course there's going to be an account in a in a in a in a people group that is outside of the uh you know of the people that were considered god's people of course there's going to be an oral tradition to say hey there's a worldwide flood or there was a story of a worldwide flood or somebody uh embellished on the story of what moses had written so it it, it doesn't disprove it actually shows and it's telling that hey there might have been a worldwide flood well one of the core principles of determining reliability in historical documents is if a number of independent sources contain the same message then the credibility of the message now strongly increases so that's touching on what you're saying it's independent had nothing to do with the other on its own account and also uh some of the some of the core principles that they use as far as re reliability goes also go into motive so what motive did that writing have to speak on that account or to not speak on that account and now if we have all of these different writings with their own motives saying the same thing then the reliability of it and and the the credibility of it has now increased tremendously and continuing on talking about that we have the codex Sinaiticus, which dates to 350 a.d which is found in the british library which contains virtually all the new testament and it does not even it's not even part of the bible itself so we have a collection of books apart from scripture what we call scripture that contains everything of the New Testament. Virtually everything. What is that called again? Codus and Attacius. Codus and Attacius. Attacius. Attack it. Attacius. <laughs> you know, the this topic is, um, and what I'm trying to do right now, I'm trying to pull up this pronunciation thing. I'm trying to get this video to play so I can hear how to say it. Anyway, uh, you know, I should have done my my due diligence beforehand but oh but um you know just kind of going back into this idea of you know of, of of what we call the canon of scripture so why is there only 66 books in the canon of scripture and they call it a canon because after many people so they had you know they had different meetings uh, this is the early church where several hundred people were present in the meeting. It wasn't four people kind of sitting around and saying, hey, you know, I, I don't like this guy, so I'm not going to include this book. There were several hundred people present, and those were just the people that were known as the bishops or the leaders of the churches. There were several more that were maybe assistants or deacons or other 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 people within the different churches that would come together to discuss certain things like theology. So there was there was a uh, several councils. I believe it's the Council of Nicaea where they talked about the the deity of Christ and does the scripture affirm it and they spent several months kind of dialoguing about it and looking through the word and 
and creating arguments and there was a divide where some people were saying hey i'm making this presentation because i stand firm in this view and i stand firm in this other view and in the conclusion of it it was deemed that uh to say that uh, christ if christ is not seen as as uh, not only the son of god but god then it was considered heresy it was considered something that the church would not believe because there was no evidence for it there was it was it was a uh, uh, disproven by scripture or or you know the doctrinal accounts of scripture and so it was deemed heresy so if you don't believe now you were not really part of the church because they analyzed scripture and so forth and that's how they came up with these things well in part of in doing some of those councils and in and digging into doctrine they were also assessing are these books legitimate mm -hmm. are these books even sources that we can rely on as historical accounts or traditional accounts of what jesus taught or of what the old testament is testifying and in in making the canon i think you have uh some record there g of yeah. of the different events i was about to go on uh what mike is talking about is the first one which is the council of Gemnia, which was a jewish council during the 90 a.d which this basically put together the Old Testament or had the Old Testament as canon. Then we have the Council of Carthage, which was in 397 AD, which discussed the New Testament as canon. And that it was where it divided or in a way during that time, keep going on to the Council of Trent which was where you had the reformers and the catholic church they were deciding on what books to actually keep and the reformers they didn't want to add in some of the books they said uh i believe like maccabees and i'm trying to remember the, apocrypha. the apocrypha yeah yes. uh -huh. and now we have what it is now known as the 66 books as Bell a part to the, the roman Dragon. catholics having an additional books not compared to scripture yeah. yeah and you have uh you know when you have the 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 council of um carthage is it the council of carthage where we, they looked at the new, testament? the new testament and it was in um and then also with constantine being kind of the the governing initiator to to make these things happen um and there's a lot of flack around that. There's a lot of saying, you know, some of the political agenda behind it and mm -hmm. so on. Um, you know, very easily you can make argument for the fact that Christianity or any other um, classified religion can be used to um, try to oppress a people group. But in the context of scripture, there is freedom there's not enslavement so people who try to use um christianity to oppress a people under a certain banner of government or whatever um and create laws where there is no law then um then it's very interesting how that dynamic comes um and that's for a different topic but uh but it's important to to note that uh the events of constantine uh he was instrumental in kind of allowing those things to happen and um and and the councils essentially feeling safe to have those kinds of uh of discussion and when those councils got together uh 
they would go in with a basis of this is the agenda of of differ differentiating what they have to use their method in creating this canon and one of the number one things that they used was sort of a uh i created like a flow chart to show that it's is it what's that the uh gosh the words that that leave you when you need them it's outrageous and i created this whole flow chart is it it starts with an a where it's solidified it is what authoritative no authoritative no no it is who knows if anybody has memory pills or maybe if somebody can get ivan a subscription to onit.com we can get him alpha brain so please make that happen. I mean, I have the list of the criteria the church used. The first one was, was the book written by a prophet of God? Second, was the writer authenticated by miracles to confirm his message? Three, does the Bible tell the truth about God with no falsehood or contradiction? Four, does the book evince a divine capacity to transform lives? And fifth, was the book accepted as God's word by the people to whom it was first delivered? Blau. Yeah, they were... <laughs> <laughs> he just went like in, in, in. So summing that all up, the chart basically said that there are absolutes that all of the books of canon have to abide by. So that's one of the reasons why the Maccabees and Bella and those the are the Dragon absolutes that and G was yeah, about. basically that it has to form and fall under these guidelines the same way that we said historical documents have to form and fall under when they were creating the the canon of of scripture it needed to fall under this these walls which would be absolutes then from there we had absolutes then we had basically our preferences we had absolutes preferences and uh i mean you could even classify as supporting documents that are not canon for the reasons that we just talked about that you can reference those and they may point you from a historical standpoint to say, look, this is a, you know, th- these are extra biblical accounts, but they just can't be, they're not part of the canon for a number of reasons. Exactly, exactly. But not those that are heretical. And so that, the heretical ones would be talking like, um, you know, the book of, um, oh, what is it, Thomas? Yes, the book of Thomas, where Jesus resurrected a kid after killing him. Yeah, um, the book of. <laughs> they were playing on top of a roof. And they were just chilling, playing handball. He, he killed the fall. kid. He's like, "Oh so crap!" Let me bring him back. Kid, the kid won. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What if the kid won? The bet was you can't resurrect me. So he's like, "Watch." <laughs> <laughs> what if the kid really won that handball game? And he was like, "Yeah, mad." Yo, he just, I've never lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, you which I'm still winning. Which were all Gnostic books, <laughs> right? So any books that were considered gnostic in nature uh based on the the falsehood of the historical account not to make if we're talking about new testament not to make jesus look you know grander than he was but they're just opposing to the actual accounts that happened the people of that time and we're talking about 140 a.d when the when the gnostic gospels uh essentially were created uh, or formed um so it's just you know what 70 years after the death of jesus or so is when 
when this was happening so the people of that time understood and they still held to the reality that by cult culturally during that time they understood that the old testament as it was from that canon point of view it was legit there was no question historically so they would speak they would live the culture was set up in such a way that these historical events are accurate right um so when when jesus came along and jesus is referencing the old testament as a historical document so he's believing the 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 truth of the old testament as he's teaching um they're looking at okay what did jesus teach what are the historical accounts of jesus and these books don't match up hence they cannot be part of the canon because they are stories that just don't line up um you have those books like thomas you have uh a number of other ones that are that are that are that are contrived yeah to yeah, be yeah. the gnostic gospel and and a lot of what the gnostics created was based off of convictions that they had within what they believed so it what we can't do as lookers of history and as as finders of history is put our own convictions in front of our method or in front of our absolutes that we have and what what we tend to find is in the generation that we're in now is that our convictions most of the times do overlook and most of the time sway our absolutes where our convictions will totally go against what we see as an absolute i mean in a way it could be what uh happens in the conspiracy realm where we have John F. Kennedy was assassinated and we have different accounts of people saying no this was happening or that was happening or we have different occasions where NASA's covering something up and NASA can throw out files or what happens in the flat earth theory where people say the earth is flat and scripture saying this and while we see in science it's saying another thing by the way scripture does not affirm the flat earth theory scripture actually affirms what we understand the earth to be not yeah not flat Psalms. anyways and and you you look at stuff like that you look at uh at thor and mm -hmm. and then you you go back to even our own accounts and you can see how christianity because of the miraculousness of the accounts inside of it can be hard to to look at can be hard to believe if you're telling somebody that I believe in Thor and Thor has spoken to me and you're like well how do you know because that that conviction that you have goes against all of the absolutes of just common sense and then you look at the Christian saying I believe in Jesus and he spoke to me then you have to use that same type of mindset to hit that person and say well how do you know for a fact and so you have to put the writings that from from the basis of what that person's saying because unless she has another eyewitness account or something else you really have to internalize that conviction as far as trying to make it seem as if it's proof to your belief because he told me so we have to also be careful about the way that we perceive or try to prove 
our conviction of Christ or our conviction of the books or the Bible or these 66 documents. We have to be careful because we we as Christians, especially today and day, are are prone to be to be battled against more than ever, I think, right now in our time. So we have to be careful. Um, I mean, Peter says that um, we need to have an answer for our faith. And someone who's new, a new believer, if you're a new believer and you're listening, um, you know, obviously to get to the point where you're doing all this research and you're understanding things and um, particularly going beyond not just the historical evidence that scripture is valid and the reality that there is the the miraculous element where you have um you have prophecies that are affirmed from historical point of views so you talk about um you know uh you talk about uh, alexander the great and and the the revelation that daniel had and you transpose what alexander the great happened in his life and you compare that to what what would eventually become uh rome and daniel in the scripture several hundred years before those historical events is giving a a a prophecy around that event that's miraculous that's wow that's not you know we're not talking about uh, Conor McGregor predicting a, a second round knockout, which could happen with eight ounce gloves. With eight ounce gloves, possibly won't last more than ten seconds. Um, but what you're saying is that it could prophecy last can also it, and, and is big when it comes to proof. Prophecy is important because as you again, as you compare, what is the prophecy saying in comparison to the historical events that actually occurred hundreds of years later? There is something to not just the literature that you're reading, but there's power in what is being said. So if you've already verified that the documents are authentic, if you verified everything that 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 was mentioned here as far as authorship and and location and so forth. All right. So now you have this document that is reliable. Perfect. It's reliable. But when you add to it, not only is it reliable because of all the things that were mentioned, but now you add the miraculous in which it predicts. So you talk about Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. I just mentioned, you know, about uh, the fact that we have actual scrolls that date back very closely to, uh, you know, when the the original document was written. Um, And you verify location, you verify the person, you say, okay, the king that he mentions exists and the events of the, of this and that exists. And you're like, wow. And then you just compare and you're like, perfect. This document is a reliable document of history, but it's also a reliable document for philosophy because the philosophy that it's giving has insight and it's telling to present day. Fantastic. We have those two things, but not only that you talk about when it's giving you, um, the miraculous element or the or the uh, prophecy of Jesus. And it tells you specifically the events of Jesus and what would happen to Jesus and what they would call Jesus. And this story was written several hundred years before, before Jesus was born. And even before the, the, the human incarnation of Christ, we're talking, about, uh, we're talking about Mary even being a thought 
of giving birth. Like this was no concept. Like people weren't even expecting this. And this document is giving a testimony of something that would happen in the future. And it comes to fruition. That is what makes it insane. And it's mind blowing. That would be, that would be a great, a great study too. Even a great podcast to talk about the different prophecies because there's so many prophecies so many prophecies that we could just have a list and say well this is what it said in this and 500 years later this is what history done episode episode 14 it's a wrap prophecies prophecies i like it i like it we digging into it so i mean we talked about so much here today there's so much more we can talk about yeah next week we're going to dive into prophecies what prophecies were actually fulfilled in scripture that can be verified not just from the scripture point of view but can be verified from the historical point of view um and so with the things that we talked about man just dig in read do research um and 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 consider the reality that not only have these books been tested have been tried but they've been proven over all these centuries from the Uh, archaeological standpoint to the timeline the author the the geography um the people group and 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 what happened with them and and the events and now we're talking about the miraculous of the prophetic i mean goodness if you can't take the this document more serious than you can take any other book that has been around for that long um you know, I would challenge you to really, really, really uh, make a conscious decision, a logical decision to take the book seriously. Uh, and if it's true, we do have uh, eternal implications to consider for our life. So awesome episode about the his- historicity of the scriptures. I think we dove into a bunch of different areas, too. I still don't know how to pronounce if you guys if anybody that's listening can go ahead and put a pronunciation Pentateuch, Pentateuch, I got it. Why is she saying it two different ways? Though? Because she's telling you no, that. She said it two different yeah, ways. She I did. heard that. She's so, confused. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who's confused. So you guys can hit us up on proofbeyondreason at gmail.com. We got a Facebook. We got a YouTube. We got uh, all of our Twitter accounts. And uh, we got a SoundCloud, iTunes. You got anybody can help Mike the Baptist out to really just break down this word pentateuch or pen <laughs> it's horrible she's, it's horrible mm, she's yeah right. i think she's right no she's not right um and let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors matthew movement mateo uh, where would you believe and uh and i hope man anybody let us know if you guys are are don't like what we say i love it let me know if you like what we say i love it too let us know more about what what's going on in yourself and your life doesn't even have to be about the podcast uh and we'll definitely you will hear back from one of us uh for sure 
And again, until until next week. And next week we got a good one going into the prophecies. Of, I'm excited about it. Yeah, the prophecies and how many prophecies have actually been proven, timelines and what those prophecies were. That's going to be a really good week. And uh, and tune in next week. And soon, very, very soon at some point, you guys will be seeing us face-to-face in some Facebook Live. Facebook Live. I'm excited about so that. We're super excited about that. So again, Poofy on Reason, we out.